Okay, uh, you know as well as I do that uh, one of the tasks incumbent on a, upon a preacher when returning to a sermon series after a break, one of the important tasks that a preacher has to do is kind of recap something off the storyline uh, of that book. Isn't that the case after the break that we have had over the last few weeks over Easter? What would you expect me to do? How would you expect me to begin? You would expect me to, to refresh our memories where we, where we were in the story of Joseph. Maybe later. Maybe. I want to begin uh, differently uh, this morning. This morning, I want us to remember the question, why? I want us to begin by remembering the purpose, the hope, the goal of this sermon series. Can you remember that? Can you remember the quote that we had right back at the start of this sermon series? I stole unashamedly from someone who said this. They said, where all of the Old Testament whispers Jesus' name, some portions of the Old Testament, they shout that name, shout his name, and they shout that name out loud. That we went as a congregation to the story of Joseph. Why? Because in this story of a beloved son who is hated by some, who rises to prominence in order to deliver his people, in this story, we see Jesus. We are pointed to our Lord and our Savior. That is the purpose behind, the hope behind, the goal in this sermon series. Well, with that in view, what I think you and I have got in front of us this morning is truly special because in Genesis 40, so what is this? A story of Joseph in jail, right? And he is interpreting dreams. In this story, I think you and I see not just one, but a number of aspects of Jesus' life and ministry. Are you, are you with me? Do you see what I mean? Here in this chapter, we see not just, just, not just an insight into one aspect of the cross, but in this chapter, we are shown loads of things of Christ, of his ministry, of his life, of his identity, his death, even his resurrection. And this morning, as you have come in at St. Peter's, isn't that what you long for? Isn't that what we desperately need as the people of God to see more of Christ in God's word? So surely then, it is with a sense of hope, prayer, expectation. What do we do? We pick up God's words and we all as a church turn to Genesis uh, chapter 40. So have Genesis chapter uh, 40 open in front of you. And we're going to see here a number of foreshadows, I think, a number of aspects, a number of foreshadows. Starting with this, first of all, we see serving the enslaved. Everybody with me? We see, first of all, serving the enslaved. Okay, so if you've got your Bible there in front of you, as you look down to the very opening of this chapter of Scripture, do you notice that we are given what oh, you could see as being quite a helpful time reference. Does everybody get it there? Uh, the author, some time after what? This. Do you see why it's helpful? It forces you and I to, to 
sometime after what? <laughs> it forces us to, to look back the way and try to remember. So my question to start would be, okay, we've had a break for a few weeks, haven't we? Can you remember where we were? I reckon you can. Can't you? Joseph, now 17 years old, was so hated by his brothers. What happened to him? Do we we remember? He was sold to merchants. He was taken down to Egypt and he was made a slave in Potiphar's house. It sounds terrible, awful. Gets worse, doesn't it? That though Joseph resists, do we remember? He resisted sexual temptation. What happened to him at that point? That he was accused of wrongdoing. He was convicted of rape. And then Joseph... We left things. Do you remember? He was thrown into this prison that we have him in here. And it's a prison that he refers to, cleverly, I think, as another pit. Did you notice that in Scripture? So he's thrown into this prison. He's thrown into this pit. And that's where he is. Now, do you like maths? Is that a strong suit maybe for some of the younger people in in the room? Well, if you do the maths and if you add the time that Joseph was in Potiphar's house and you add that to the time that he was in prison, you ready for this? I've had to do the maths myself, which was a struggle. But you find that that whole time in chains was a grand total of 13 long years. 13 long years of imprisonment and slavery of some description. Now, okay, we don't know here right now in chapter 40 how long he has been in prison. At this point right now, we don't know. But we do know that at this juncture, he is joined by two fellow inmates. Who are they? We've got a cupbearer and we've got a baker. Now, over the last few weeks, if you've not been away Uh, for Easter, you'll have noticed that there's been a few occasions where I've mentioned um, the mistakes that I used to make with the Bible as a kid, the mistakes that I, the misinterpretations that I would make with the Bible when I'm reading it as a child. Uh, We've got another one here because this is what I used to think. I used to think these jobs, (laughs) I used to think these were the most menial jobs imaginable maybe not so much a baker but there was me as a child said a cup bearer because you know what it's like as a kid you know think what will I be when I grow up I don't want to be a cup bearer this seems this seemed to me as being like the ancient equivalent of a lift operator or or something like that apologies to cup bearers or lift bearers in in the congregation this morning was I right as a kid I was absolutely wrong as a child, wasn't I? Like from ancient history, we learn, and it's important for, our, for us to get our heads around this, that these jobs were incredibly significant jobs. So a chief baker, as he is here, and a cup bearer. So these are roles of great rank and respect. Why? Why? Because both of these roles functioned in the presence of Pharaoh himself. You follow that, don't you? So both of these roles, they had access to the king, which was cherished. They had something of a relationship with Pharaoh. They had 
the very ear of Pharaoh himself. So what are you asking of the text at that point? What am I asking? We're asking, guys, what have you done? Aren't we? Guys, what have you done? You know, why are you in prison? Well, if we can look at verse one and we can get it up, have a look at it with me. Have they been speeding? Is that a motoring offence? What is it? Are they skip paying their taxes? No. Now, look at the language with me for a moment because it's perhaps more important than we see, first of all. So it says that they have, these two men have committed, what does it say? Committed an offence. Now, literally, here's the idea of this. It's the idea they had sinned against the king himself. Did you see it? That was so common in the ancient world for people who had access to the king, to Pharaoh. It seems like these two men had acted against him. There's some sort of treason or rebellion and it's incited Pharaoh's anger and he has thrown them in jail where what happens? Now, if we've not got it up on the screen, but if you look at scripture, look at verse four, what happens to these men? They're thrown in jail. What's Joseph's role? Do you notice the language? Joseph is tasked with attending to them, tending to them, tending to their needs. He's tasked with serving these two criminals. Can we deal just for a moment with something rather unpleasant? Just for a moment, if you're like me, getting on in years, I'm in, uh, in my mid-40s now and feeling it, but if you're like me and you're getting on in years, you will know that horrible moment. So uh, that horrible moment's our first thing in the morning. You know what it is if you're getting on in years, where you get out of your bed and you're going to go get your breakfast or get changed or something, and what happens? There's that horrible moment where you catch a glimpse of your face in the mirror as you're going about your day. Now, the young people in the room are like, what is he talking about? But those who are not so young know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? There's that horrible moment where you're looking, oh, and uh, you've got bags under your eyes that are big enough to carry your Tesco shopping and your hair What's left of it is all over the shop and there's wrinkles and there's probably a hundred more wrinkles than you remember seeing the day before. There is that unpleasant glance, glimpse of yourself. In all seriousness, Christian friends, in all seriousness, as you look at these two men here, as you look at scripture, is that not what's happening here? In the cupbearer and the baker, Are we not given an unpleasant glimpse of ourselves and the situation of all humanity? If you're struggling to follow, please think about the Garden of Eden for a moment. Think about Adam. Think about us. Think about humanity in the Garden of Eden. Do you not see it like here? We had such a privileged position in the Garden of Eden. We had, humanity had rank over all creatures with respect in a sense. What was the best, the greatest element of the Garden of Eden? Like here, we had access to the king. We functioned in the presence of the king. We had relationship with God, didn't we? We had the ear of Almighty God. And then what did we do? Like here, man, treasonous treacherous. We rebel against God, leading God to send us into the prison 
of our fallen nature, into the shackles, the chains of our sin. And so as promised, this morning in Genesis 40, in the person of Joseph, do you not see something of the nature of the ministry of Jesus Christ? Because what has the Lord Jesus Christ come to do? You might say to me, Andy, he has come to be numbered with the transgressors. He has come, Andy, to to identify with captives, but it's even more because like Joseph, the greater Joseph has come to attend to us, to tend to us. He came not to be served, but he came to serve you, Christian friend. He came to serve us, the enslaved, the captive. So we see serving the enslaved. Second of all, though, we see here ministering the word, a second foreshadow, ministering the word. So we've mentioned my unpleasant mornings, your unpleasant mornings. As we move on, uh, should we not consider these two men and the unpleasant morning that the cupbearer and the baker have? So if we could put up verse 6, or you can look at it in Holy Scripture yourself. What happens? Why do they have an unpleasant morning? Do you see it? Joseph comes in to find them. So he's coming in to attend to their needs. He's serving the captive, and he finds both the cupbearer and baker. What's the language that we have here? They were troubled. Is that it? They were troubled. Troubled. Let me put that over to you this morning. Why? If we had to explain this to others, why are they troubled? You might say to me, oh, because they've had dreams. Is that it? They've had dreams that clearly they know need to be interpreted. Is that one reason? I think that's fine, but I think we can add to that as well. Because they are troubled. Because both of them have had a dream like this on the same night. That is going to freak anybody out, isn't it? You have this special, unique dream, only to find out that your best mate has had one that same evening. So they're troubled because of this, but I think we need to go further even still, because the text of Scripture says more. They were troubled because as they look around, they can see no one who is going to help them and interpret the dream for them. That's what scripture says to us. I think you need to appreciate that dreams were big, big, big business in the ancient world. Do we appreciate that? So right through Babylonia, but certainly in Egypt, lots and lots of people, all sorts of people were making a good living saying that they can, they can speculate about dreams and translate and interpret dreams. And you can see it, the baker and the cupbearer looking at each other, but looking around and saying, what are we going to do? There's nobody here who's going to help us. And what happens? At that very moment, Joseph walks in and he offers to interpret the dream, but not before. Now let's look at verse 8. So he offers to interpret, but look at verse 8. Not before he gives glory to God, Do we all feel the weight of that? Do we all feel the importance of it? Joseph knows God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the day, but God is sovereign over the night. Joseph knows God has given these dreams. uh, Joseph knows that these dreams are God's word. Let me go back to what I say on a regular basis. This is my life. 
But I say this to you all the time, that a minister's life is spent fighting with time. And I know that time is short in a morning service like this. But what I want to do very, very briefly at this moment is just pause to address, I think, three, three quick questions that rise out of this moment. So what's the moment? You've got these three men in this prison cell, and these two men are troubled. They are troubled by these dreams. And Joseph says, this, these, this belongs to God. So three quick questions that I think are practical for St. Peter's this morning. First question, most controversial of all, perhaps, does God still do this? Does God still speak to us like this in dreams? Does God speak to us in dreams? Should you be expecting this tonight when you go to bed? Should that be in the background? Does God still speak to us in dreams? Well, I want you to see, friends, that this that I have in my hands, what do we refer to it as? We, we call it God's word, don't we? I think we ought to understand it as God's completed revelation. This is God's word, but this is God's finished revelation. So I, I want to say that, yeah, okay, God might use dreams in some context. I think especially, perhaps, in the Muslim world just now, that God may use dreams. But what God does by dreams today is he brings people to his word. He prompts people to his word. In fact, this question that we're asking, does God still use dreams? I think it is actually answered in scripture itself. So let me give it to you. So we ask of God, are you going to speak to us? Are you going to give us new revelations somehow in dreams? And then please listen, please listen to the beginning of Hebrews. So we ask that question. And then the beginning of Hebrews says, well, long ago, at many times, long ago, in many ways, God spoke to his fathers. But the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, God speaks to us by his son. He speaks to us here in the words. So let me repeat, if I can try and paraphrase that very famous tweet from a few years ago. If you want to hear God's word audibly, what do you do? You just read the Bible out loud. That's it. That's the answer. Second question. This is for you, Christian friend. Can you see this morning as a Christian for your own life right now in Genesis 40, can you see an example of ministry for you? Do you see it? The example here of ministry for your own life. Now just think about Joseph for a moment. What does Joseph do? Now think about the details. He notices some people in trouble. They are heavily burdened. What does he do? Can I tell you what he doesn't do? Joseph in that cell does not back away from these people in trouble and go and hide himself in a corner or hide himself in a different cell. What does he do? He goes to them and he inquires after these people who are in trouble. And best of all, most important of all, what does he do? He seeks to minister to them the word of God. So if you're a Christian in here looking for practical truth and teaching for your life, you have it right there. So inside the life of St. Peter's is this church family. Outside of St. Peter's is a church family. There's an example. Let's be attentive. 
Let's be observant for people who are troubled. Let's go to them, acquire after them, and let's seek to minister God's word to those people. And then the third question is most pointed. Perhaps it is here that you are, or I'll put it as a question. Are you this morning the cupbearer? Are you the baker? Are you the cupbearer? Surely you can see what I mean. Perhaps it is in here or online. So people sitting at home, maybe, watching on a tablet, watching on a TV screen. But is it the case that you are not a Christian? And perhaps it's the case that historically you would have had absolutely nothing to do with the Christian church whatsoever. But is it the case that in recent times you found yourself strangely drawn to the gospel, to Jesus, to the church? Indeed, could you perhaps describe yourself this morning as someone who is, like here, troubled by the way that God seems to be speaking to you, troubled by the way that God is working in your life. Well, I hope you see it. I hope you see what you must do from Genesis 40. Where do you go? You're burdened. You've got all of these questions. You go to the greater Joseph. You must this morning go to Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can interpret the mysteries of God for you because who is he? What does scripture say about him? Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. I hope you hear that Jesus is the only one who can help you and who can bring calm to your troubled soul this very day. And then a third thing. So we've seen serving the enslaved. We've seen ministering the word. Then we see receiving the punishment. Um, At the risk of repeating myself, I think, and I'm sure you would be with me on this on the same page, that It's often the case when you're reading the Bible that certain portions of the Bible are so descriptive and evocative that when we read them or we hear them preached, you can't help but capture an image of them in your mind's eye. Don't you agree with that? So sometimes it'll be first thing in the morning. Sometimes, you know, it's Colin or someone reads scripture. They're so detailed, descriptive, evocative that you just can't help but have a picture of them in your mind's eye. Well, as we move along, and as Joseph begins in that prison cell to reveal the interpretations of those dreams, isn't it a bit like that? I mean, every one of us in here, from the youngest to the oldest, can't we picture the scene there? What is it? I mean, do you see the darkness of that Egyptian prison? The dinginess of it, and you've got these three convicted men there and the tension as Joseph speaks the, don't, you, don't you think the tension must have been unbearable in that prison cell now what, what, what happened so Joseph can you picture it Joseph turns to one side of him and he turns to who the cupbearer, doesn't he and he begins to speak to him about his dream so friends what is the interpretation of this dream isn't that amazing I mean the cupbearer's dream I mean, it couldn't be, I don't think, any better news for this man. So this dream of grapes being taken and being quashed into Pharaoh's cup, what does it speak about? It speaks to him, yes, of a return to work, doesn't it? So he is getting his life back. He is going to be freed. In short, 
the cupbearer's dream is a dream of him soon to be pardoned. Isn't it lovely? But then if you're picturing it with me, you see Joseph there, you see him now at this moment in the prison, he turns to the other side. And he turns to the baker. And what is the interpretation of his dream? I'm sure you're with me when I say that it could not be any more different, could it, for this baker? Do you notice that his livelihood, just like with the cupbearer, his livelihood is mentioned? But it won't be Pharaoh who eats the bread. It'll be the birds. In three short days, this baker is to be killed. This is not a dream of being pardoned. This is a dream of being punished, of being hung up and impaled on a tree. Now, yes, I think what we should be frank and honest about this morning and what we ought to recognize as a church is that that is how it is very often with the word of God. Now, we we have to be bold about this, that the message of salvation that we have is a stark message, isn't it? So the message of redemption is a message of pardoning freely for some, but it is also a message of punishment for others. Yes, we have to recognize that. But look at the table. Like very shortly, you and I, Christian friends, we are going to the Lord's table to think about, reflect on what? The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, I think that that, reflecting on Jesus' death, is a very, very easy thing to do from this particular portion of God's word. Can you not see it? I mean, think about for a moment, Genesis 40. Think about the the similarities you have here with Calvary itself. I mean, do you get them for yourself? Like, I would ask you sincerely to bring back that picture of that prison cell that I've labored. Bring it back to your mind's eye. I'm asking you, Christian friend, can you not look at that? Behold it yourself. But can you not look through that to behold Golgotha itself? Do you not see? You look there at Calvary and you see in the darkness that surrounded Jerusalem, three convicted men. Then you look at Calvary at Golgotha, you see on one side, hanging on a cross, you see a criminal who is soon to be pardoned. You look on the other side at Golgotha, what do you see but a criminal and a criminal soon to be punished? And who is this you behold in the center cross? Who is there in the middle but the greater Joseph? The one who has the words of eternal life. You see it, don't you, in the similarities with Genesis 40? But then if you're a Christian, can you not see Golgotha and see even through the contrast and the dissimilarity? Because who are you in the story? Who are you? If you're anything like me, you recognize that you are the baker aren't you? You are the rebel. You are the one who's been treacherous, treasonous against the king. But think of Christ. 
What has Christ, the greater Joseph, done for you? Rather than bring to you a message of punishment that you deserve, the greater Joseph has said, no, I will take your place. I will stand in for you as I will be impaled on a tree and I will receive the punishment that you, you deserve for your sin. Don't we look at Genesis 40 and we rejoice and don't we thank God? Don't we praise Jesus himself for what he has done for the church? And then the last element, we've seen certain things foreshadowed, service, ministry, punishment, last, exiting the pit. Um, You might think this morning, if you've had your ready brick and your coffee and your alert, you might be thinking that like some unobservant motorist, uh, that I have sped past an important signpost uh, in the Uh, in the chapter in Genesis 40. Because what is it that I seem to have overlooked? Do you get it? Do you see it? Way back when interpreting the cupbearer's dream, is it not the case that Joseph makes a request? Tell me we all got that. Did we? Joseph makes a plea to the cupbearer. If we can put verses 14 and 15 up on the screen here. I want you to think about the basis for a moment of this request. So he's speaking to the cupbearer. Now, obviously, Joseph's faithfulness to God's word, the accuracy of his interpretation is one of the basis. But what's the other basis? Do you notice the the request is on the basis of his innocence? Do do you see that? Verse 15, he cries out, I've done nothing. Joseph to the cupbearer, I've done nothing that they should put me in here. Guiltless that they should put me in this pit. Did you see? What's the plea? This is a deeply heartfelt plea that the cupbearer would remember him when he is released. Now, with that in view, if we put up the last verse, oh, Christian friends, if you engage with this chapter, Do you not find the last line of this chapter so affecting? Would you read it with me? Do you you notice how it is emphasized as well? Man, does it get to our heart. Look at it. So he's appealed. Joseph, totally innocent. Free me from this pit. Yet, the chief cupbearer, given all that's been done for him, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. That would do with it. And look how it's emphasized. But after all of this, he forgot him. He forgot him after all of this. Isn't it poignant? Don't you think? Now, yeah, I think if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus Christ, I think that this morning should give you cause to pause and reflect. Because Christian friend, is that there what we, what you and I are guilty of this very morning. I've had to wrestle with this all week in sermon preparation. But in the Christian life, are you and I living in practical forgetfulness of the greater Joseph? Consider what Jesus Christ has done for you. Consider it, the extent of it. He has ministered to you. He has seen you delivered, delivered from chains. But are we going about our daily life in forgetfulness? of the greater Joseph, giving no mind to the one who has delivered us? 
Are we as guilty as this? It gives us pause, cause to pause and reflect. But this is Hebrew narrative. And you know how Hebrew narrative, Old Testament narrative works. Even when God is not explicitly mentioned, as we read this, we are to have our thoughts on, especially in a portion of scripture like Joseph, when God is active so much in the background. So do you see what the author is doing here? Do you see what he's pushing you to ask? Do you see what he's saying to you? No, the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. What's the author doing? Saying to you, but who did? No, the, no. The cupbearer did not remember. But God, God remembered Joseph. And God would soon bring him out of this prison. He would soon bring him out of this pit. And as you and I have looked at so many aspects of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ this morning, are you now not here as we end pointed to the greatest miracle of all? Because what did we look at last week? What was the church throughout the world rejoicing in at Easter? What was it? You know it, don't you? That in his pit of a tomb, in his grave, in his prison, God did not forget the greater Joseph. Now listen, on the basis of his faithfulness and on the basis of his innocence, his perfect sinlessness. God did not forget Jesus, the greater Joseph, and he brought him out, that his name would be exalted, glorified today throughout the world, that the name of Jesus Christ would be praised. So Christian friend, what are we going to do? We're going to go at the table. And I would urge you there to do as you are commanded by the Lord your God. Now, what is that? We go to the table and we remember. We remember Jesus. We remember his death. We remember exactly what it is that has been done for you and for me. And what is it? That we were rebels and the greater Joseph has acted and he has brought us back to fellowship, access, and relationship with the King. Friends, let us bow and let us praise Jesus. Lord, we thank you that though all of the Old Testament speaks to us of Christ, ministers to us of Christ, we thank you that there are Portions of the Old Testament that shout the name of our Savior to us. We thank you this morning that the word of Almighty God declares the name Jesus of Nazareth again to the church. That you remind us here of your ministry, your humility, your person, your identity, the punishment you have taken, but also the fact that today and not just last week, Christ is risen and risen for our justification. Lord God, may it be that the name of Jesus Christ is praised. Amen. Now, we are uh, to come at this moment to the Lord's table.